Hi, this is Adrienne. Thank you for joining me for another episode of I Was About to Say. Hope you are headed into a wonderful and relaxing weekend. So this episode is about this week's confirmation hearing on Judge Katani, Katanji Brown Jackson. This was a historic week for me as an African-American period but as an African-American woman in particular in this country. And I'm very thankful that I was working remotely and able to listen to every single second of the hearings in the background of my workday on C-SPAN. I choose C-SPAN because I don't like spin. I don't like people telling me how to think. And I also don't like the censoring that often happens, regardless of whether the media is liberal, conservative, or whatever you want to call it these days, because both of them are guilty of censoring and crafting narratives um, that don't always accurately portray what's actually said. And some of the most controversial hearings in even criminal cases that we've had in modern day. I started watching C-SPAN, thankfully my family um, started me watching C-SPAN from my early 20s. And I'm very thankful for that because we are free thinkers. And um, I list, I that was the main mode that I used for the O.J. Simpson trial, for the Clarence Thomas hearings and for so many other things. And I will say that my opinion of many of these controversial cases is very different than pop media because I listen to every single word, not the clip notes, not someone else's filtering based on their own predilections. So through that lens, I'm going to share some thoughts that I had about this week. First, I want to say Judge Brown Jackson was the most incredible, the most pride-inducing woman of her stature that I have seen in a long time. That woman was running a law clinic this week. If you have a chance to go back and listen to the hearings on C-SPAN, Pretend it's Netflix and binge watch, okay? It's the best, best binge watching you and your children need to see because it really is a civics lesson for our kids in understanding the law, understanding um, the importance of shaping your career early. As I watched her and as I watched the questions that were being dragged up about her from, you know, years, decades back. It really made me think about the age of social media and how many kids, how many young adults would be eligible, would be able to withstand that scrutiny given the prevalence of social media, of texting, of all of these apps that almost create whether it's intended or unintended, the impact is the same. They create a footprint that is hard and in some cases almost impossible to erase once they're out there. 
And it's, it really should, as, as parents and, and caregivers, I hope people will give pause. If you have a child of high potential and you are leading, you're coaching your child and your child is interested um, in careers, especially in the law um, or in other careers that are going to lead to um, high responsibility or scrutiny, then they, you really need to think about whether or not they use social media. And if they do, make it clear to them the implications of everything they post. Because as I listened to this and I thought about it, for every high potential kid, especially a, a high potential kid of color, let's just be real, there's someone out there watching that you don't know that's probably screenshotting everything you post. There are even apps for it. There's, there, there are ways that people can just pull your stuff when you're posting and waiting for that moment to take you down with it. So think about that. And that moment might come next year. It might come 10 years from now. But it's very important to be very judicious about what we are sharing, what we're texting with people, what we're posting, and ensuring that there's real trust with who you're communicating with. Um, the smartest thing for, especially if you're younger and you're younger in your career in particular, is to just not even comment. It's even controversial to react and, you know, thumbs up or likes or loves um, with certain controversial content. Um, so as much as possible, you know, have, make accounts private and then limit your private account to people you know. You can always watch anyone, but you don't have to allow anyone into your network to see what you're doing. I typically have two to three different social media accounts, one that's public and then one that is not public. And I know every single person that's in the private account because they're friends and family. Um, and so if anything ever leaked, I know exactly who I'm going to. And the count is small, but that's the reality for most people. You don't have 7.5 million friends. You don't even have a thousand friends. It's good. Yes, there is that nice temporary um, adrenaline boost of likes and, you know, and, and people commenting positively. Um, but there's also the dark side and the dark side is that that same information can be weaponized later. So that's my riff on that. Um, things that really struck me about her, her demeanor and, and, it, and again, as a black woman, she was, I just, I want to emulate her. This woman endured an extraordinary confirmation process for one that we all, including the Judiciary Committee, they all should have been bowing down from both sides of the aisle that we have someone with her credentials that's interested to put herself and her family through that rigor. If there's anyone who had all the tick boxes including actual experience that could be scrutinized, it was her. And her demeanor, while she was being 
blisteringly criticized at times. It was almost comical because some of the senators were focused on Amy Comey, Comey Barrett. They were focused on Kavanaugh, other justices that weren't in the room, but they would go on these long soliloquies. And for a moment, you're wondering whose confirmation hearing is this? But at no point did she lose her composure. She kept redirecting them back. And I was, and I'm going to tell you, I learned because I learned from her because as a black woman, we go through that. We go through the erasure. Um, We go through the um, instigation where people are trying to pull you out of your character. They want you to react negatively. They want you to cuss them out. They want to have something that they can sit back and say, see, I told you, that's the real black person that we see on um, Real Housewives of Atlanta and a whole litany of shows that only show um, African-Americans and the most base behavior um, possible. That's how they all are, even in corporate. Um, And of course, most of us know that's not the reality and it certainly isn't um, how most African-Americans behave in their personal lives. Um, But that is what we get a steady diet of in in the media and um, in entertainment. So to see, for them to be able to see a, not only a brilliant black woman, but also one whose credentials transcended race. There are few white men who have her credentials. You look at, when you look at the, 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 the public defender, you look at the federal prosecutor, I mean, the federal judge. And now you look at the totality of her experience, of her credentials. There are very few that stack up to her. I think Sonia Sondermeyer um, on the court and maybe one other justice. Um, so it was, it, it was impossible for people to challenge her credentials. And I hope that as we hear all of the stories and you know, that will be written, that we teach our kids that there are some that are really targeted to young professionals and to kids in high school stay focused on your big picture. There are people that that know your greatness and they're going to see your greatness and they're going to try to target that to pull you down and to pull you out of character. And she is so wise that she knew going in that that would be the attack plan, but she held her composure and she was being genuine all the time. As a matter of fact, there were times that there were a few times that I teared up because it was so so hostile from some of the Republican um, committee members. Not all of them, but some of them. Um, but it was it was really you know she would she had this beautiful smile, and you know and she really did have this authentic sense of. You know, I really want to meet you halfway. I know that we may not disagree, but we can disagree with humanity. And that was consistently met with, I don't see your humanity. I'm just here to make a point on your back. And again, if you watch the hearings, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and, you know, and I think it's important because we can't always walk away. It's, and, we, and we shouldn't always walk away. 
from hostile situations, from difficult situations. We have to learn how to manage not only ourselves, but how to manage hostile people toward us. And she ran a clinic on that because she could have said, you know what? Hey, I'm done. Game over. I'm going back to the bench. I'm I'm just fine as a federal judge. You know, I'm good. Uh, or as an appeals judge, I am just fine. Um, she doesn't have to serve on the Supreme Court. It, it, I am praying that she will, and I literally mean praying. But she, did, you know, this isn't this isn't life or death for her, um, or for her family. Um, her very accomplished husband, and she will be just fine either way. Um, but. She knows the importance of her presence and she decided, you know what, I'm going to listen and I'm going to respond in ways that are respectful to people who are sometimes disrespectful to me and I am going to stay focused on my goal is the Supreme Court appointment. And as like I said, as many of us in corporate, you know, even it doesn't even have to be corporate America. It may be something, at, you know, as civic groups, it could even be a church. You know, you're going to have people that are going to try to pull you out of character and you need to know how to handle yourself so that you are able to communicate honestly, clearly, but firmly. So that that's the first thing, her demeanor. Another thing that really struck me was her knowledge. Now, I am someone who at one point I wanted to go to law school. So I had four years of classical Latin and I really, I, I love to study the law informally. And that woman ran a clinic. They were, yes, several of the committee members were attorneys themselves, so they tried to ask questions that, quite frankly, I have seen other justices going through the confirmation process, and they weren't able to answer the questions. They simply, they they didn't have the body of knowledge, they didn't have the experience, they didn't have the command of the law that she has and was able to just just run a clinic, a law clinic. It was it was just amazing and able and her breadth of knowledge from antitrust to arbitration to of course criminal law. Um right down to the you know the the terrorist um and the um the Al Qaeda um situation with some of the defendants that she represented um, which was her duty as um, a as a as a public defender for the federal um, federal system. So um, it was it was very interesting, and I learned a lot. But I to watch the debates back and forth, it was almost like a like a racquetball game that was really healthy with the the more positive um, judiciary committee members because I think they really were. And as Tom Tillis. From North Carolina, a Republican from North Carolina said at the very end, there is no doubt that she is highly qualified um, without question for the Supreme Court. And, you know, and I, I appreciate that from Tom Tillis because I still have a home in his district. 
So that was that was the second thing. So the third thing um, that struck me about the hearings and, you know, and it's something that in fairness, um, I think the some of the questions were valid. The way they were posed was disrespectful. Um, and I appreciate particularly the Republican um, committee members who were able to pose these questions in a respectful manner. Because I am someone who has concerns about how far we've gone with criminal justice reform. Um, I have concerns when I look at cities like New York City and um, and even a, a bedroom state like Connecticut. When you look at some of the violent crimes and how they're escalating, it's not just about the pandemic. There's the perfect storm of the pandemic being at the same time that we have fundamentally changed how we respond to crime. It's one thing to give people a second chance. And I, I, like everyone else, want to give people a second chance when it's indicated and it doesn't put the greater public at risk. But there are times when right now it just doesn't um, pass the logic test when you see people with 30 and 40 convictions and many, or 30 and 40 even arrests, and many of them are for violent crimes and they're still out committing violent crimes, similar by gun possessions, everything else. Or you see people out who have killed two or three people already. There was someone in New York City who was arrested a couple of weeks ago who had already been, that's in effect a serial killer, um, but the person had already killed two to three other people before, but just hadn't served anything close to a life sentence. So they were back on the street to not only kill, but dismember someone else. That shouldn't be happening. So I personally do agree that there were some valid questions around, this, around her sentencing, um, both for sex offenders um, as well as violent crime um, as well. So um, it, it, if you watch the hearings yourself, um, you will see that there, there, there definitely is room for concern in some areas. However, it's important to note, Judge Brown Jackson, this isn't Judge Brown Jackson's court. She will be one of several justices and of the full Supreme Court. And with the other justices, they will collectively make decisions. And one of the things that she was highly praised and lauded for by many um, was the fact that she does work toward consensus, that she does carefully deliberate the law. But um, I did, you know, I was a little, I was concerned about what appeared to be the leniency on some of the crimes because we, we're going to have to find a middle ground with criminal justice reform that doesn't put people in jail or give them bail for busted taillights, but we're not applying that same deference to people who are raping, murdering, or committing hate crimes. They don't deserve that same deference of a hundred dollar bail. And I, and it, and it should be race neutral. Um, when we balance out considerations for race, it shouldn't be that we're going to let out people because they're black. 
it should be that we're going to raise the bar for people who are not black so that we have equity in the criminal justice system. I don't want equity by removing and making everybody else less safe because we have some twisted sense of obligation. Um, yes, we have community programs, but you know what? There's good and evil in this world. And there are people who there they're just aren't the social programs out there that are going to enable them to function safely in society that are, that's going to make everybody else safe for people who are like, well, we just want to clear out the jails. You say that until it's your mother. You say that until it's your only child. You say that until it's your spouse of 50 years and then see if you still want to keep clearing out the jails. Um, so it's, so there, there is that balance. Um, and, um, so I do think there were some very valid questions and I appreciate the, um, senators who asked her those questions and had some rigor with it in a respectful way that allowed her to answer. Did that mean she need, needed to be asked the same thing six ways from Sunday? Of course not. Um, I could answer some of the questions at this point. Um, obviously there were two things that were never going to happen. She was never going to say, I'm going to, I would, you know, make it, I would choose to sentence someone differently because that would then compromise her judge record, her record and possibly open cases up for appeal. So they knew that was never going to happen going in. Um, you have to be firm and she, and it wasn't that she was defense. She was never defensive. She always gave her rationale in the law for what she did. Um, but the other thing was that it, in listening to the hearings, it became very clear to me that we have serious problems with the sentencing, sentencing guidelines themselves that are set by Congress. Um, yes, I have some concerns about her leniency on sex crimes, but I also have concerns about the definition of a pedophile. As a former child welfare professional and someone considered to be an expert when I was in that field, I have a problem that a child pornographer isn't necessarily considered a pedophile. As far as I'm concerned, if you are in any way involved with sexualizing children, you should be categorized as a pedophile. So it's, you know, but, you know, as I say that, one of the things I thought about and I wondered about not knowing all the details from the cases that she was discussing was that there are some states that have sex crime, though these wouldn't come up to the federal level, but certainly at the state level, where a 17-year-old may have a 15 and a half or 16-year-old girlfriend. Well, technically, if they're sending pictures to each other, that is, that's a sex crime in some states. Now, um, I personally have a problem with laws like that. I think there should be a span of age. There should be a number of factors that are looked at. And I think that's part of what she was saying. And I say that partly because at 16 years old, of course, I was dating 17 year olds. Um, and, you know, at 17, I was dating 18, 19 year olds because that's what kids, teenagers do, especially older teenagers when you're a junior, senior in high school. Um, and so I really appreciated 
that she wanted to make it clear that she looked at all of the factors and not just the top line that you have this crime. But, and to be very clear, under no circumstance, if somebody's got 6,000 pictures, there's a problem there. And I, you know, I, I scratched my head, you know, with, with some of the sentences. But we heard consistently about three cases. This judge has had hundreds of cases in her career. And if they could only focus on a handful out of hundreds, when other people have been confirmed to the Supreme Court that haven't even served more than a year or two on, on any notable court, then I'm good. I'm good. Um, she will be working with other justices um, and they will be able to balance out and, and, and hopefully maybe even um, have a way to impress upon each other considerations um, that we and the public raise up. And um, in terms of the society that we all want, that is both fair and provides safety for everyone at the same time. There were, um, there were, I think everybody has probably seen um, the, the snippet from um, Senator Cory Booker when he finally just cut the tension in the air and commended her on her grace and on her experience. But I'm still kind of, I'm still kind of teary. When I think about that moment, when I look at her face, I can still see her face as clear as day. And when she teared up, um, it shouldn't be all of that. It shouldn't. It shouldn't require all of that to be considered for public service, the highest in the land. We have really created a society that lacks humanity and we are normalizing that and we wonder why a Christ, a so-called Christian preschool in California um, last month had children chanting get rid of Biden let that swirl for a minute when kids young adults see our leaders not able to debate respectfully they normalize that. They normalize that as the way to treat women, as the way to treat underrepresented minorities, um, as the way to treat each other. And it is so wrong. And just, you know, something that I hope will end at some point. Um, so when Cory Booker spoke up and he told her, I see you. And we're not letting anybody take our joy. I felt that in my soul, all the way through my soul. And I'm sure everybody else listening did, especially African-Americans. To wrap up on a more positive note, I do want to shout out um, some of the some of the highlights um, from some really sharp and and just incredible congressmen who ask incisive questions from both sides of the aisle. 
that made me think. And um, and I, I, I'm really thankful for how they approached it. And I'm going to start with um, Congressman Whitehouse from Rhode Island. When he talked to her about, when he asked her about her um, thoughts on arbitration, and I was pleasantly surprised to hear that because we talk a lot about arbitration for sexual harassment, but nobody talks about it for racial harassment or for any of the other protected um, protected forms of discrimination in the workplace. We still have forced arbitration um, in many industries. It's not just corporate, but there's still... Um, forced arbitration in many um, avenues, and that was his discussion point. You know, should we have it? Should it? Shouldn't people be allowed to have their day in court, um, especially if rights are being violated? And um, I was very happy to see that debate and see that discussion. Not a debate, that discussion. The other thing was um, Senator Fadia from California. He brought up a very important point about the pipeline for um, judges um, through the through the clerk system. And we we taught we are in this world of um, performative inclusion and diversity so much that I've almost tuned out at this point. Um, but to hear someone actually put the pieces together, he, he um, specifically, he talked about the fact that so few judicial clerks, um, especially in the federal courts, are people of color. And um, his, he's um, a Mexican-American. Um, his family, his parents were immigrants. And he talked about the, the importance of having that racial and that underrepresented minorities, um, that level of diversity. Because those clerks, like Judge Brown Jackson, um, that is a pipeline to appointments to, you know, whether those appointments are, you know, at the circuit level, at the federal level, you know, that's how they make those relationships. That's how they get the mentoring. That's how they get the coaching. She talked a lot during the confirmation hearing about um, the coaching and the mentoring and the support that she received from other judges along the way that started with her, excuse me, with her clerkship. So um, I was glad that he intentionally brought that discussion up because a lot of, you know, the Democrat side was, you know, they used their time to make sure everyone heard about her credentials. And that was really good. But it was also important for us to hear that she was she's not a token candidate. It wasn't just about her being a black candidate. It was about her being a candidate that could stand toe-to-toe with a white male, a white female, or anybody else. Um, the, there was no denying, there's no denying the credentials. So, And the knowledge to be able to have those full-bodied discussions about contemporary issues that we see. If you want to talk about criminal justice reform, you want to talk about equity and sentencing and fairness and why one person might get one year or we've seen people getting nothing for rape, quite frankly. And and you can Google and see there are, there are outrageous cases where people are getting nothing and then others are getting life sentences. And it all comes down to the discretion of judges. Well, how do we get those judges? In some states, they're elected, 
but in other places they're appointed. So how do you get into that pipeline? So I was glad that he um, brought that up. And again, um, I will say Tom Tillis from um, the Republican side, every time he spoke with her, it was respectful. Um, and it was intelligent and it was on par with how, with the decorum that you would have expected from everyone. So um, I do commend him um, for his interactions with her. One of the things that kind of creeped me out a little bit, honestly, were people who were so viscerally attacking her, but made the point of repeatedly commenting about her children. And in a different day and time in the country, especially when we don't have, didn't have social media, um, I might have looked at this differently. Um, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm over, um, analyzing, but when you're dealing with people that supported overthrowing the country, people who, um, care about European immigrants as well, we should, um, with what's happening, um, the horror, the horrific um, activities that are happening with the war in the Ukraine. But at the same time, we don't have that same compassion for black and predominantly black and brown immigrants who are also fleeing turmoil and conflict. And we put them in cages. We rip their children literally off the mother's breast and end up putting the kids in systems that ultimately lead to adoption for those. We lost hundreds of children, if not in the thousands, but we claim we lost them because we didn't have a tracking system, um, and which was just inexcusable. But I know that we won't have that happen with anyone um, in the Ukraine that won't have, from the Ukraine that won't happen. But the fact that people who allowed that to happen to black and brown immigrants and who actually encouraged it to some degree um, because they were so fervent with wanting to keep them out of the United States and not give them a chance at a better life here um, or, you know, opening the coffers or finding money and, you know, everything else for a different set um, of immigrants. So I say that because when they say, you know, all of the fawning of her children, it almost felt like they were identifying her children, like they were making sure people looked at them, making sure people that may not always have good intent and people that may not always be the most stable and nicest people out there, as we saw with the insurrection. So, um, you know, it's sad that we've come to that point in this country where you have to question if someone's comments about someone's family or someone's children is truly sincere. Um, but from, from some of them there, I, I did have to scratch my head a little bit. So in some, my prayers are definitely going up for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson and um, I am hopeful that um, next month we will have a new Supreme Court justice who will bring us pride, who will bring us equity, who will bring fairness to the court. And when I say fairness, it's not, that's not Democrat, that's not liberal, that's not Republican, that's not conservative. It's for everybody in this great land. That's what I have to say. Hope you enjoyed it.
Have a good night.